he's doing no, yet. I have no idea. It's really we not. Because <laughs> we didn't tell you last week. No. Yeah. You would have you known if you listened to the podcast. What is she that? I haven't had the time to listen to the podcast. He didn't know until yesterday. Yeah. You haven't subscribed? Oh, yeah. I'm subscribed. If you're subscribed, it should give you a notice that there was a new chapter of this podcast. Yeah. We need to get you subscribed. Her yeah. own father is not subscribed to the podcast. We're back for another week. This is Brecken and Jonathan of the Gem Junkies, and we have a special guest with us today. Uh, my father-in-law. Frank Farnsworth, the uh, yeah. starter of the company, and my dad. Jonathan's daddy. <laughs> and so we're celebrating 45 years here yeah. at Parlay this year. Our business started in, what, 1973? 1973, exactly. May of 1973. Mm-hmm. And so we thought it would be a good chance to interview you and, and gather some knowledge for ourselves. And, you know, for all the other listeners out there who might be interested in how we began. Or maybe how to start a gym how did it begin? How did, how did you get into this? Well, when I was a very young man, I would always like to go down to Stewart's Gem Shop in Boise. Mm-hmm. And Dudley Stewart, who is probably the godfather of gemstones in Idaho, he would take and show me his collections of gemstones. And I was in awe. Mm-hmm. Now we move forward until I'm in college, long hair crazy kid and my friend at rolling the time. cars down the mountain uh, yeah, <laughs> rolling cars down the we don't have to get into the whole story but just kind of get a framework here and my, my best friend says to me let's go mine opal well couldn't turn that down so we got in his oh what were those they were Chevelle's they were, no, no, they were the worst product. Chevy Vegas, that's what they were. We got into his Chevy Vega, and we managed somehow or other to get to the top of the mountain, where we met a gentleman, Mark Stebler, who owned the Opal Mine, and we got to be good buddies, and we mined Opal. And we took that Opal that we mined, we, we drove back down the hill. Oh, by then, there were holes in the oil pan. You know, you can use soap, hand soap, and you can, bars of soap, and you can... Seal those oil holes in the oil pan holes in the from oil pan. trying to get up the from mountain. Trying to get, yeah, because all the rocks. I mean, it was it was a four wheel drive. All right, and, and you used that like, Chevy Vega just couldn't quite pull you it. You used dish soap. Dish or no, bar, bar soap. soap. Bar soap. Yeah, bar, bar, soap. bar soap. Yeah, this is so. So there you go. Your listeners now. No, no, this key to fixing a nineteen seventy Vega. Back down the mountain in the nineteen seventy Vega, and we went to the trailer house that he was living in, in the second bedroom of that trailer house, we set up a lapidary station. Mm-hmm. Getting those tools from good old friend Dudley Stewart, and we started taking and cutting opals from Spencer, Idaho. And we thought we were going to be billionaires, not million billionaires. And that was a big number back in 1973, mm-hmm. but we were sure we could do it. Mm-hmm. Of course, then reality set in, and we went and borrowed some money and lost it, and then had to go to work. Mm-hmm. And we went out, and I would go out to the rock and gem shops, 
around because back then there were rock and gem shops everywhere. That's kind of a thing in the past. And they would love to buy these opal triplets that were mined and cut in Idaho. Mm -hmm. And hence we went on and, and started cutting more and more and started hiring people and teaching them how to cut. And, and we were on our way to that first billion. And somewhere along the way, we found <laughs> we out. Got stuck. <laughs> we got stuck. <laughs> we got stuck. No question about it. But we, but, but we still muddled along, and we found out that jewelers love to buy stones, but they didn't really have the time to put them into metal. Mm -hmm. So hence, we went out and we bought very inexpensive findings that we could snap the stones into. We could take them back up. They began to sell. Now Sue used to do that. Sue did. She'd my mother-in-law. Yeah, mother she'd sit on the living room floor, Leslie, Sue, Marty, and I, and we'd sit down there, and we would snap, snap, snap gemstones into the pieces. Snap gemstones into the pieces. And that's how we did What was the average price point back then? Oh, my goodness gracious. If we sold something for $30, it was a big, it was, it was a good sale. A uh -huh. $100 stone was like a home run. That was it right there. That was steak dinner territory. Oh, man. You got it. in Bud Light. Bud Light. <laughs> steak dinner and Bud Light. <clears throat> so you're snapping in all, the, all these, and they're selling. And they're selling, but we realize that they are rather inexpensive. Better word than cheap mm -hmm. setting, so we want to do something better. Mm -hmm. So then we decided that we should learn how to make jewelry. Mm -hmm. So we started working on how to take and lost lost wax cast, and we read about it and learned about it and started making making jewelry and hiring people to help us make jewelry, and so that we could take and, and have if we we used to say it put wheels on the car. The mm -hmm. stone was the car, and we needed wheels to make it go. That was the jewelry. So. Back in the 70s, everybody was excited about making jewelry. It was a big hobbyist thing at the time. Turquoise and silver was big. We even made squash blossoms. Did you really? Out of opal out of, doublet? Out of opal triplets Good. from Idaho. They I wish I had huge. one of those. Oh, I bet you do. But really? Yeah. How, how big were they? Huge. They were huge. like the oh big squash they, they were as big as any of the turquoise ones you've ever They're seen. They're back, man. I, well. We need to do this. Oh, well, <laughs> I'll leave that in your design department. You go, girl. But from there, we soon found that, that jewelers um, not only like triplets, but they even like better than that natural opal. Mm -hmm. So going to the gem shows, and the first years in business, we had a, a, a Dodge van, and we put like 70,000 miles a year on Was a Dodge a van. Was it a sleeper van? Yeah. Yeah. That mattress in the back, and you hid the jewelry underneath, and I would go from one trade show to the other. You know, the cow barn in Peoria, Illinois, and on to the old fellows, odd fellows hall in Pennsylvania. And, and, what was was a, a, and what was a good day? A good day, oh, if you did $1,000 in sales, you were... Yeah. Bud Light and steak dinner. Here we were. Okay. So we had it. Yeah. So yeah, and that's that's how it all started. And you did that by yourself, or would Sue go with you? Uh, Sue would go sometimes. Sometimes I'd do it by myself. Now you know, first year Sue and I weren't married, so mm -hmm. that that really you know I had to get permission from her parents. To, you know, I think the first show I drove her to was San Francisco, and that was a big deal back mm, then. San Francisco in 1973 was pretty hot. Pretty hot. Yeah. Hoppin'. yeah. yeah. Party town. Party yeah. town. <laughs> what was the industry like back then? Was it all was it all the just rock and gem and mineral, or was there was there different was there a low end and a high end, or how how was it all set up? Well, it it, it was the same as today, but but just a lot more players. 
there were there there were lots and lots. Every every small town had you know several jewelry stores. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just anywhere you went, if you could go, you know, in a little town in in Iowa, there might be in, in ten thousand population, there might be four or five stores. And not chain stores. No, 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 no. no. These were all independent stores. They were independent. The business really took off after World War II when the uh, veterans came back from World War II with the vet uh, bills. They were able to go to school and learn how to become watchmakers and gemologists and get, and the government would help pay for that. And that created a lot of businesses that are still, you know, third generation today. And so we, we watched that and that's what we saw a lot of in that time. Um, then there was the rock and gem shop that was that interest in, in hobby. People seemed to have more time at that period of time than they do today. More to, time to hobby. More time to hobby, more time to do different things, more time. I think probably it's the same amount of time, but now we just spend it looking at our phone. Probably. I mean, back then, you know, we, we made things and did things, and yeah. there were, it was a different time, and, and people had more time and had more interest in hobbies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, how have you seen the industry change? Like, what's, what's the biggest things, takeaways that you've seen in, in you know, 45 years? What, what, what do those changes look like? Well... There's a, there's the whole the whole concept of big box retailing came to town, mm-hmm. and Walmart very successful with it, Kroger very successful with it, and and the jewelry counter came along with that. I mean, you know, in the case of Walmart, maybe it was a, to the lower end. In the case of, of Kroger, it was buying out Fred Meyer and Fred Meyer Jewelers, and and you saw that you 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 saw that coming in, and then the Sterling stores with the with the advent of, of more chains. Before that, it was Zales with all, it's the chain stores have always been a part of it, but they grew very rapidly. And then with, with, with the, with the, invent, uh, the, the beginning of malls and shopping malls and destination malls, that meant more jewelry stores. And then it was a big decision for the jewelers. Do I stay downtown in the local or do I go to the new mall? And we had a lot of jewelers who were torn and some opened two stores so that they could cover both those markets and, mm-hmm. and so forth. But that, that whole thing and, and that growth of it. And then since then and more recently, we've seen consolidation. A lot of the people that started in the, in the, in the 50s are gone, the 60s or 70s are retired, um, and, and uh, people are transitioning their business. And as we know, transitioning businesses is very difficult, particularly in an area like jewelry where it takes so much knowledge and so much capital. Yeah. It, it, you've got to know so much to be a jeweler. Mm-hmm. And you've got to also have the capital to have that product available to your client. Yeah. Capital is an interesting question. I, I wanted to ask how you financed this. I mean, you started as a college kid. You said you lost money in, in the early years. <laughs> and how did we grow into what we are now? Um, I would say that it was a matter of putting back. We always put back the profits into the business. That was always the thing. Um, your mother-in-law and I, Sue and I, have always believed in in taking and saving and putting our money back. And we don't live an extravagant lifestyle. And because we work so much, all the travel we do, and we do love to travel, is mostly business travel, you know. And so from that standpoint, money got put back into the business. We've also always been able to attract very good employees, mm-hmm. employees who really cared about the company, cared about the direction, and were, were willing to take and sacrifice and get the work done. 
So that's always been good. So it's been a slow growth. It wasn't any one thing that... It wasn't explosive. No, no. not at all. Not at all. You know, right. I would say that, that our common growth has been, if I look if I look over 45 years, would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 5% a year. And so our growth is mostly organic. Absolutely organic. Yeah. You we know, started uh, small yeah. and gradually expanded the, yeah. the yeah. line, gradually grew customers, yep. and organically grew. And customers have supported us over the years. They've, they've been there for us, and they've you know continually bought product from us. We've also always innovated. Mm-hmm. Anytime I talk to a client who's done business with us for a while, how do you keep coming up with something new all the time? Well, I think that's one thing that you taught me early on when I first started here was that if you see an opportunity, you need to take it and you can't be scared to fail. Think like a miner. Yeah. Yeah. Like a miner. Well, that's good. (laughs) What do you mean? Well, I guess there's opportunity and all you do is pull dirt out of it until you hit something good, right? Yeah. Yeah. You keep, you just keep going after it until you find that, that special thing. And then when you find that special vein, you chase that vein until that vein disappears. And then once it, once that vein's gone, then you start, you you start with your analogy. That's yeah, that's really yeah, I, th- I, thought, yeah. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about Tucson. Uh, you know, Tucson's such a big, big part of the colored gemstone and part of our still. world. I mean, you've done it since, since the beginning started. of time. Yeah. 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 How, how did that start? The win, first of all. What, what year was that? Oh my goodness gracious! The first year would be 1974. Definitely. So they're going to be 45 years old next year. Or, well, well, I guess AGT. We started in 1974. Now, I, I, and it's, it's very where? unclear in my mind. Um, in, in Tucson, there were several different people who came together who decided to have a gem show there. And then it grew from that. And to get the exact date of who started it and when, I'm a little even fuzzy and unclear myself. That'd be um, interesting. That, it, research probably. Yeah, I think you could research that and, and figure it out. And I'm sure that I'm there, sure you'd, you'd, get, you'd get a few different opinions. Sure, <laughs> sure. But anyway, a bunch of us just ended up down in Tucson trying to sell our stuff. Where? And it was warm and it was nice. Um, I remember places like the Holiday Inn South, which is now, um, oh, it's another hotel now. It was a whole small hotels. Okay. It was small hotels, and it, and it was probably late 70s that we moved into the Holiday Inn Broadway, and that became... Swanky. You know, it became swanky, yeah. We had a ballroom there. One time, we had four booths there, and we did serve Bloody Marys for breakfast when you came in for the beginning That's of the show. That's not legal now. Mary- so what? You can't get away with that. So you started out, so you're saying that was the first time you were in a ballroom, so before that, you were actually in hotel rooms. Hotel rooms, yeah. we take the mattresses and the beds, we put them up against the wall, we take move all the furniture out. And then we'd take and we'd put our we'd put our little showcases in, and everybody would sit on the beds, and if there were beds left in the room or sit wherever, and then we'd show our things, and people would go from room to room to room. And I still do that they today. Do it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, did you sleep in that same room? Oh yeah, so oh gosh, yeah. Do we must sleep in the van. I mean, that was the choice. <laughs> we couldn't afford two rooms. Well, yeah, and also insurance purposes. You don't want to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people slept with a gun under their pillow, you know, and that. I, yeah. I always wild thought, west. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty crazy back in the all cash, right? Oh, all cash, all cash, yeah, and there was there was none of this credit card or credit or anything. You wanted something, yeah. you know, and you dug the, the bills out of your pocket, and you paid for it. Mm-hmm. And that's been a big change in our industry. And it's been huge. And when you first started there, were you selling to consumers in the general public, or, or were you selling? We always were very, very careful, probably too careful, to make sure that whoever we were doing business with was there to resell the product. 
And we really chased off uh, uh, people who who were there as taking it and buying it for themselves. And there was probably some collector business that we missed along the way for people who collect. But we were interested in people who could sell it and buy it again. Okay. That was really the, 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 the where, where where our philosophy as a family always was was let's and, and to support those people who were going to sell it and sell it again. Okay, so then you were at the Holiday in Broadway. Holiday in South Holiday in Broadway, and then and then um, AGTA started, and so we joined AGTA. We're a charter member. We're a charter member, yeah. American so Jack Trade Association. The first year, we, we the first year, yep. Yeah, and then and they started out and, uh, and and took it to the convention center and had their their show in the convention center and so forth. So that started a whole new chapter in 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 the in the business and, and in showing gemstones. So what unique skill set do you think you have that's helped you become successful in this business? The ability to get past the third no. Okay. You want to elaborate that? <laughs> well, you know, when we when we choose not to buy something, we have objections and we usually vote you know, vocalize that in a no. And I've always had the good fortune of being able to listen to the client well enough to find out where the no was coming from and be able to get past that and get on to positive and, and be able to sell the products to them. Mm-hmm. Because we're always afraid of trying new things and different things. But we've always found ways to take and overcome the objections and have people stock the product and show the product and sell the product. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that is just being positive enough. And also developing you know, a relationship with your... your a a, a your trust customer. relationship. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, all business is, you know, and, and that's one thing that has not changed in this business. Most of the suppliers that we deal with and most of the clients that we deal with deal with a handshake. Mm-hmm. They don't deal, we don't have signed contracts, we don't have letters of credit, we don't have, you know, a, a lot of these types of things. In this industry, it still is based on trust. So being able to create trust and keep trust with your clients is, is the most important skill set that you have. And you do that, of course, by properly representing a product to begin with and then following through and doing what you say you're going to do down the road and continuing to do that day in and day out. It's not, this isn't any real, you know, high tech skill set by any means, but it is a skill set that's worked well. As you were progressing in, in this business, did you have a mentor? Or someone that you would talk to? Oh, lots of mentors. Mm-hmm. Lots of mentors. I had different um, sales representatives who sold for uh, findings companies and chain companies that were good good friends and good mentors. I had people that were in the manufacturing side, um, people that were from East India, people from Hong Kong, uh, people from Thailand, who all helped train me. Uh, I remember sitting with, with our, good, our good friend Sam Paul and him saying to me, you know, or that he wanted to sell me rubies. And I said, well, that's fine, but I want you to teach me everything about a ruby, just like I know everything about an opal. And he says, you know, I'll try. But I found that in every man, there's only room in his heart for one gemstone. Yours is opal. Sorry. <laughs> so he, and so as we moved into ruby and sapphire and these other stones, of course, I turned to my suppliers. I turned to my friends in the industry, and they're great mentors. So, yeah, this, is, this business is really a big family. Mm-hmm. And you still have the same friends, 
you know, that you had years and years before and you still work with them. And that's what makes the business exciting and interesting. What, what do you wish you had known when you started out in 1973? Oh, wow. What do you, well, first is we should have invested in real estate in Hong Kong. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. There we go. Why was I I over there buying all the I should have been been buying buying apartments. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I I would say the best adage that I've come up with is um, things are never as bad as they seem and they're never as good as I would like. So I think that you you live on that road. Um, I think that there's all kinds of things that you wished you knew. You wished you knew how quickly rare gemstones would increase in value. Things like Savorite, Paraiba Tourmaline. Some of these stones, when they first hit the market, were so incredibly inexpensive. And now you go to try to find them, much less buy them. And it's not. Yeah. It's not there. It's so not it's there. It's another lesson about opportunity. It's another lesson about opportunity. And, and, and when something new and fresh is out, don't be afraid. If your eye says it's good then invest mm-hmm. and invest heavier than you think you should because down the road those stones will come back and and, and be very very valuable mm-hmm. and I, I, that's probably one of the big lessons i've, I've learned mm-hmm. so you, you mentioned when you were when you were working that there's only room for one gemstone in your heart so obviously i would guess that opal is your favorite gemstone well or is that not necessarily true well, I love opal, and, and I think it's a very interesting gemstone. I wouldn't say it's my—I I wouldn't say it's my only favorite gemstone. I, I certainly appreciate um, the corundum, the ruby, and the sapphire, and, and, and those stones. And, and uh, I love the things I'm seeing in the, the new fancy garnets and yeah. the different colors. And so, now I, I would hate to limit myself to one I stone. Agree. But, I agree yeah. wholeheartedly, Frank. Don't <laughs> limit yourself. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I well, like opal, but I like them all. In all the projects and gemstones and, and different product lines that you've ever developed, do you have a favorite that sticks oh, out? Oh, yeah. Do you have a favorite? I'm thinking Intarja. <laughs> <laughs> well, Back in the day. Yeah. Well, Intarja created the most conflict and the best solution of any gemstone that we had. But, uh-huh. but beyond that, um, gee, that's so hard. Um, gosh, everything has its beauty and its place and its time. What um, did you... Is there one thing, I guess, maybe that you were like, yes, we're doing this right, this is it? Well, that's got to be the Opal Doublets. Yeah. I mean, that has been the, 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 the product that we started with early. We did in a big way, and we continue to do today in a big way. And, you know, still thousands and thousands of pieces that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's something that, that all of the right The, the right characters, the, the, the right things came. I can't find the right word I want. The right things everything came. Everything aligns. Everything aligns. Yeah, everything aligns. The, the perceived value is very high. The price point is, is, is very good. The availability. And this is one thing I think that I've learned in the gem business too. If you don't have availability, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You, you know, you can't really put out a, a, a big line of periheba tourmaline. No. <laughs> Wait, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, how many stones can you sell a year? So you have to think about how much of this is available and then what's the perceived value 
to the consumer. And when the perceived value comes together with availability, then you have opportunity. And so you have to have all those things together. Do you have any tips for people that might be starting off in the industry as far as jewelry makers, designers? Um, think outside of yourself and live within your means. Yeah, don't yeah. overextend. Don't overextend, but dream and, mm-hmm. and follow and, and, and follow. And try to, when you find something that you love, try to stay on that path and don't get pulled aside by every uh, opportunity that comes along. Focus a, a bit on, on something. As, as my dad used to say, son, you can't kiss all the pretty girls. Mm-hmm. So make sure that you take care of the one you're with. And, and I mean that in a product sense. If you're going to promote something, make sure you promote it well and don't jump from one thing to another. Mm-hmm. But then when you see opportunity, and that's the discernment. Yeah. When do you need to jump? When do you need to move on to something else? Mm-hmm. And that's it. What are you most excited about in the future of our business or the industry as a whole? Well, I see the industry as a whole is, is consolidating. Mm-hmm. And I see that the jewelers have less competition from like jewelers in their market. They still have competition for the dollars. I mean, let's face it, the internet is, is sucking dollars out of the economy faster than we've ever seen. And so that begins begins to make jewelry more difficult. But I get excited because I see the young jewelers in the industry having a dream, building a, a fine stores and fine businesses with and training their staffs. So they really understand and know there's more knowledge out there now than ever before. Mm-hmm. And, and we can thank the internet for that too. Um, we, we have so much information to work with and that information really is exciting because that helps inform the consumer. And if the consumer is more informed about jewelry, they're going to want to wear it. Yeah, they'll and be more comfortable. More, more comfortable, yeah. exactly. All right. All right. Well, that's it. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for taking a break. <laughs> Come into the basement to record with us. <laughs> well, good now that I know how much fun you have doing it. You know, I may just drop in more often. I, well, you know, it's one of my favorite times of the week when I just get to come down here and talk about gemstones. Well, so, it's, it's yeah. A, it's a good idea. So, so what's next? Uh, a Christmas special, I think. Because next week is our last week in the office. Are you going to sing Christmas carols? No, <laughs> no unless we... A oh, Brecken special. A Brecken special, just me. Hopefully I'm over my cold by then so my pipes can really, you know... <laughs> ring in. Ring in. But, uh, yeah, so next year, or next next week is a Christmas special, and, and thank you again for joining us on our little parlay journey. I'm Brecken. And this is Jonathan. And this is... Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to check out what we do in our real life, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Parlay Gems. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.